Hi, I'm Dmitro Shvets, your host at the Start Global Insights, where I interview experts from different countries about local business secrets and international expansion experience. You are listening to the second part of the conversation with Linda Nech, the expert with extensive experience in practicing and teaching interest-based negotiations around the world. Linda is a lecturer at Harvard, Stanford, and UCU Business School in Ukraine. She is also the general manager at the law firm Flex by Fanvik and the founder of Align Consulting, where she provides executive education and consulting services for clients in the US and internationally, including Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. In the first part, we have discussed with Linda how to negotiate internationally, and in this part, we will dive deeper into negotiation culture of the United States of America. I, I cannot not to use this situation because you are from the US, yeah, and we are making the podcast for exporters. And uh, I would uh, definitely uh, like to understand if there are some cultural aspects in the US that you should consider while negotiating. Yeah, and and again, the US is such a big place that you can. Uh, I I think I think I've lived in at least three different cultures within this this country, if if not more. I think I've lived in seven different states and each one being a little bit different. But for example, right now, I live in Silicon Valley. Um, I'm very much in the tech ecosystem, uh, very much influenced by the legal aspects of tech and and the the nature of the economy here. Uh, so it's a, it's a very, it's, so I'm very familiar with the kinds of deals that are done when tech companies are trying to sell their products internationally. I know in the tech contracts that the law firm I work for deals with every day, there are certain issues that are constantly negotiated. Um, and under, so if you were trying to sell into um, a market here, I think you could, I could describe some of the things that I've seen in both investing in companies here and being part of a law firm that represents companies here in running a business that's part of that law firm. Um, and, and I think, you know, some of the stereotypes of, of Americans would be direct communication. Um, that, that also depends very much on the, on the people you're negotiating with. But the stereotypes would be, you know, a little less of the relationship building, the old stereotype of, you know, more of the Asian culture would be more, let's build relationship first, and then we'll get down to that. But, but that too is a stereotype with truth and faults in it. I mean, there's plenty of let's go, let's take you to the Giants baseball game client. Uh, let's have dinner and um, drinks and dinner client. So there's certainly an uh, awareness of the importance of the relationship. But the assumption is when you're negotiating, that's when you're down to, okay, now let's fo- focus on the facts and figures, the, the law, the price, the uh, warranty. I, I think that uh, the listeners will be uh, very disappointed uh, after listening to us that everything is so simple. Yeah. So from from other sources, they're expecting that you need to really learn how they negotiate, the ticks and tricks, uh, how how to approach what, who is the in charge in the room. Like in in Japan, it might be the oldest person, or in uh, Arab Emirates, uh, the the last one uh, is the the chief uh, who is coming into the room or this type of things or if you are in US then you need to have this small talk about the weather or if the US person is asking you how are you it is it doesn't mean he he needs to or really wants to to hear the whole story of your life 
I think that one, that stereotype is probably one of the more accurate ones. It's it's uh, it's funny how often I hear that the the Harvard course that I teach is very international. Um, often there are students from all over the world, students getting their master's in law um, that are part of that program, and it's it's one of the most common sort of complaints, if you will, about U.S. culture that hi, how are you? Doesn't mean how are you? It means hi. Yeah. Uh, and now we get on to the next point. Whereas most other cultures, if you're going to take the time to ask how someone is, you might actually be curious about how they are and what their response to that might be. Yeah, it's like you, you care about somebody. Uh, yeah. So about the other. Yeah. Part. One of my students talked about going to Starbucks and the bar- barista asked her how she was. And she said, I just started to tell <laughs> the person how I was and was astounded <laughs> by how often that was to the person making my coffee. Um, so yeah, sure. Uh, that those kinds of things are helpful. I, I I think it's actually helpful to study up, if you will, in a culture. Um, try to learn as much as you can about what the stereotypes are. But then, I, I there is no playbook for how it works for sure. everywhere, yeah. right? I open the playbook for how to negotiate in Silicon Valley or in Dallas. Um, I think the importance is know that there are differences. Try to see what the typical ones mm. might be, and then go in with the same kinds of mindset you would have no matter where you are, which is what's motivating this person. If if it, if there is a power thing going on in your multi-party negotiation, yeah, pay attention to that. Who is the decision maker if there is such a thing? Notice who talks, who doesn't. Uh, notice who's paid attention to and who is not. Um, that, those can just help you understand how to influence a group of negotiators. But at the end of the day, the important thing is, you know, learn as much as you can about what's motivating the other side. Learn what you think their perception of appropriate standards criteria are. Um, And then even the process of putting up your own proposals and options as they go along. Each time you get negative feedback on what you've proposed, you're learning something. You might not like that you were just told they didn't like your proposal, but that gives you an opportunity to learn more about what they what they're thinking and the more you learn about that whether you're in you know shanghai or in in seoul or you're in prague the better off you are in terms of your own ability to do deals in negotiation that satisfies your own interest yeah, this this is the side. biggest problem of sales people. Uh, in, without um, without this experience of negotiations, uh, they do not know why why there was the reason of uh, rejection. Yeah, so why they they lost a deal? Because they they it, even it is if it is not a common case uh, in culture to ask for the feedback, but you still can do it. Yeah, so you still can uh, request uh, what's what's the point of. Um, this proposal and why you, you have not expect, accepted that or uh, just give me a hint what should be done to be uh, so, so so this proposal would satisfy your needs yeah so in yeah, the future so i would not waste your time my time and ping you with the same case again yeah absolutely i think the instinct to to ask for feedback to understand why look the truth of the matter is sometimes you just won't get that answer um people often don't want to say what their motivation was or what, why the alternative beat you on price, but regardless of whether you get the response or not, ask, at least asking for that uh, feedback is an important part of learning more about what worked and what didn't. 
Yeah, it's like try try not die. Yeah. Yeah. Try for exactly exactly. And at the end of the day, you know, sometimes the other party has a better alternative, right? The bat they have a batna that is better than whatever you could offer. Um, and so it's not winning doesn't mean getting every deal or beating the other side's bottom line. Winning means you got a deal that met your either either you walked your alternative and you learn live to negotiate another day, but you get, or you got a deal that met your own interests that you tried to create value and get as many interests built into that deal as possible. It's legal, right? It's built on some sort of standards that are enforceable or at least justifiable. Um, and it's better than your better than your batna, better than what you could have done had you walked away from that deal. Yeah, yeah, and but, but you know, I think that the main point of uh, the uh, interest-based negotiation is that you perceive this negotiation in the long term. So the, the zero sum is like you are winning now or never. But if you are lo- in, in the interest-based and if, in the long-term thinking, if you lost now. It doesn't mean that you lost uh, the deal or you know you lost the, in life. Yeah. So because so the time flies by, the, the the people may change, the roles may change, and you learn a lot from from every loss in every deal. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot, and if you analyze that and you plan ahead, then every loss might be the gain in the future. A- absolutely, I, I think that's an important point of the the viewpoint of short term versus long term. You know, I might be able to trick you and get a great deal today, but generally that means you're not going to either not want to negotiate with me next time, or you're going to be looking to even the score the next time around. So the problem with that short-term win is it can have long-term negative consequences. And, you know, we do in courses, I'm sure you've done this as well. We do exercises where that plays out. You can see how a choice in round one, where you Uh, where you trick the other Mm -hmm. side often comes back to haunt you in round 10 when the other side has the opportunity Mm -hmm. to pay you back. So shifting your mindset around uh, that long-term versus short-term relationship and and reputation versus short-term wins is is a helpful framework to have in your own mind in negotiation. I think this is this is like a heritage of the past because in in the past when you were like living in in one country and uh, your counterpart in another and you you would like sell him or something and you won't see him or her forever and now right. everything is so connected yeah so and and everything is so transparent and this digital footprint that you have so you can write something about some person in in on the other point of the uh, Earth and and then in in the, or or you might have an uh, employee and then this employee becomes very easily and very quickly a, a partner of the uh, other organizations and you would need to have business with them so it it changes so quickly and it is so transparent that it is not already the time to cheat somebody <laughs> because you will be cheated in absolutely in the future it's it's a small world for sure after all. For sure. Coming back to U.S., yeah. So some, some, I, I understand. So it, it depends. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> like also the, the, the best, uh, the best answer of the of the lawyers. Yeah, it depends. But are there some taboos or or some things that you would be careful about? I just remember the case when I was in the United States uh, in North Dakota, and we went to a bar and, uh, of course, drinking beer and and uh, talking a lot. 
and then I and I am so curious. I'm I'm very curious about cultures and nations. So I was really like frank and curious about some uh, two questions that that actually turned the uh, evening into the disaster. Uh, the, the the first one was about the indigenous people, uh, and uh, the second about Vietnam. So uh, and the person I was talking to was a military guy. And and um, I was like curious, why the hell you you have gone to Vietnam to, to fight for the war at the other side of the planet? And what have you done with the indigenous people in America? <laughs> and and that, that totally destroyed the evening. So, of course, no, no fight uh, appeared, but, but uh, the relationship was a bit not so good after, after that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I guess those are the tricky hot button topics um, are no matter where you are in the world um, are, are things to be cautious about. And I think you can you can often ask a question in a very broad way, like what's your point of view on U.S. and Afghanistan or um, how have you experienced you know, U.S. policy toward Russia, whatever it might be? A, a very open-ended question is probably safer if you're going to tread on that potentially dangerous mm. ground. I, you know, it, it reminds me a bit of the first time I went. It was many years ago now, but the first time I went to the Middle East, and I had my own uh, kind of stereotypes of of what that experience would be like. First of all, I was surprised that they were asking a, a woman to come and teach business people mm. negotiation in the Middle East. Again, it was a stereotype mm. that was wrong. Um, and I remember speaking to the people who brought me over at, in advance, asking, you know, what should I not do? Very, very cautious about doing the wrong thing if I was there. And I think they were kind of surprised at how fearful I was of stepping on, you know, verbal landmines in some way or or just behavioral ones. And really, the only after after talking to them for a period of time, I realized, you know, just be humble, realize you're in someone else's set of norms. I think the only the only piece of advice they gave me was don't don't use a lot of alcohol examples. This is a dry country. Don't, don't, don't drink while educating. <laughs> <laughs> don't drink while educating. I'm not going to use examples about buying cases of wine, right? Because you just should mm. know that's your culture. Where if it's not a part of the culture, if it's not appreciated in the culture, don't talk about that. But to to your examples, if you're going to talk about hot button things, American politics, right? Um, uh, it's it, it just know you're in dangerous territory and therefore the more kind of open you are to just being curious about their point of view, the less, the less you're putting judgment in your questions. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's natural. If we have a strong point of view, it's natural to have our questions turn into assertions. That is what the heck were you doing in Iraq? Um, Americans, mm -hmm. right. That, and, and that, that is going to have a different impact probably on a military guy than, uh, you know, uh, a, a San Francisco peacenik. Um, but, but it is being very cautious when you're in territory that, you know, even if you're curious that, you know, might be something the other side doesn't have a strong interest in talking about or hearing another point mm. of view about. Yeah. Like one more point that I remembered, uh, the, the old Ukrainians were growing up in, uh, Soviet, <laughs> uh, times. Yeah. So it's Soviet culture. And we had a lot of, uh, kind of a political friendship with Africa. So the, the question of mm -hmm. uh, racism or uh, interracial 
uh, relationship was a bit different in, in our country. And uh, for example, the word uh, uh, Negro was quite okay. Not, not like offensive where mm -hmm. we didn't mean something about the race of the other party. And you could see that uh, in Ukraine, we don't have these issues of um, racism because we don't have too much of a um, yeah. relationship with that. Yeah, But uh, I heard from my friends in US and Canada, they had a lot of problems with, with within this uh, situation. Like actually even um, in some cases looking at uh, black people if, if they were white was causing some bad reaction, yeah, because there was a suspicion of racism from their side, although they were not in this situation meaning something with that. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's it's um it's interesting the that this assumptions we make um about people's intentions versus what their 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 impact was. I, I I might say something that I intend to be a compliment or a curiosity that is offensive to another party and just not even be aware of it. Much more likely that's going to happen if you're a different culture or if there are different norms or, or I, mean, I think to your point, if, if a culture is, is, is much more um, homogeneous, if mm. you will, as opposed to extremely diverse around different races within a culture, there are just different assumptions are made about people's comments just based on the culture that you're in. And Again, I think, you know, we all make mistakes or accidentally uh, insult um, all too regularly. The question is whether or not you accept that when it happens, you realize that if, if, you're, if my behavior had a negative impact on you, I don't tell you why you shouldn't feel that way. I'm going to learn from it and then not do it again, you know, depending on the, obviously mm -hmm. the situation. But the notion is, look, if somebody, if, if what you did hurt somebody, and it isn't a matter of principle that you have to do or say what you did, then adapt that change, right? And I think and it, no, noting that we can dial our own behavior to be okay with the people we're working with can help us be more persuasive in our negotiation and be less likely to, um, to, to provoke others. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all make mistakes uh, and and the more we're willing to own them when we make them, um, forgive them when they happen to us, and be curious about why that happened. I think that helps with a you know, broad kind of issues mm. that we're talking about around cultural difference, racial difference, gender difference. Um, I, again, humility is is a good trait in negotiation. Not always mm. valued, as we can certainly see among some very prominent yeah. people in the world. But um, at least I'm going to stand on the principle that humility is a good quality, listening is a good quality, uh, curiosity is a great quality, um, and and uh, that's just my own perspective on what helps you be a more successful negotiator. Yeah, yeah, and, and at least it is always helpful. Yeah, it, it might be that you won't be uh, able to use it to some extent in some cases when you cannot uh, influence the situation, but it, it will be helpful for the your conclusion for the future when you meet such people again just one last uh, around this notion of you know kind of curiosity listening i think one of the areas we explore often in negotiation courses is the distinction between empathy and assertiveness uh and that those two things can be intention right empathy being if we define that as the ability to understand the point of view of the other side of another person, not necessarily agree with it, but at least understand it. 
uh, and try to communicate it to the other side that they actually believe you understand them. So I not only do understand you, I communicate back to you what I understand you're thinking to your satisfaction. Yeah, you believe I got it. That's the empathy piece. So the empathy is focused on the point of view of the other. The assertiveness is uh, standing up for your own interests, your own point of view, making sure that that um, your standards are also discussed in a, in a negotiation. And both of those are important. You know, some people are very good on the empathy, but not very strong at standing up for themselves or saying what they really think or making sure that their interests are also met. So if you're good at empathy, you probably have to work on your assertiveness muscle. On the other hand, there are plenty of people who are very good on the assertiveness side, saying what they want, demanding what they want, but not good at understanding the perspective of the other side or what the other side wants or what the other side mm-hmm. feels. And so if, you're, if your strong suit is assertiveness, probably what you should do is work on your empathy muscle because you need both of them. It's not an either or, it is a both. And then it's in any given situation, even back to your conversation about like talking about difficult topics, that's one maybe you want to lean on the empathy skills a bit more, right? And just understand the other person's point of view. Whereas if I'm with a negotiator, it's very dominant, very zero sum. I've got to lean on my assertiveness skills and and work harder on you know making sure that I also am having my needs met in the negotiation. And just that awareness and that simple, you know, yeah, we talked a lot about today about gray areas and it depends, lawyer's favorite phrase, it depends. But but there are some fundamental things that are very helpful, interest versus position and empathy versus assertiveness. Just those concepts can help guide you when you're in this kind of messy world of, of human communication and human uh, relationships. I uh, recently saw, like in social media, some, some shorts in, in YouTube. Uh, the guy was saying that uh, I learned a very uh, useful word that sounds like interesting. So if you meet somebody and he says you something that you are not uh, agree with, take a moment and say, interesting. <laughs> 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 if you will use this word, it will help you to, to get the, the answers, what is going on, and it, time to think. And I actually think there's something to that. It's good to have, when something hits you wrong, it's good to have a more neutral thing to say besides yeah. what the heck is wrong with you, right? And, and interesting might be a good thing to rely on when you are thinking, that's crazy. But, it'll, but you know, when you tell somebody they're crazy or you think they're just flat out wrong, often that's not going to make them open up more. It's going to make yeah, them fight yeah. more maybe, but maybe, maybe, maybe having some of those kind of crutches on how to deal with the behavior that we don't like, um, like interesting is, uh, is a, is a good tool. Let's come back to, um, to the Harvard methodology and the key email elements that you said. Um, and we were talking a lot about interest, yeah. So, the, and, and I think that this uh, point that you said about assertiveness and empathy is about these two sides of interest. So, you you need to understand your interests, yeah. So, you need to understand what do you want, and this is actually also quite uh, tough tasks. Uh, and and it is it seems obvious, mm-hmm. but yeah. but when you are sitting and writing them down, it, it is quite hard to figure out what is your interest actually right. in this negotiation. And then the yes. empathy is for the interests of the other party. And here is uh, the, uh, mm, the main question I hear uh, is uh, um, how, to, how can I understand um, when, I, when I'm preparing for negotiation? So I'm not talking to the, to the person. Yeah, so I'm, I'm 
guessing. Right. Uh, how can I imagine or how can I understand the interest, interests of the other party? How, what, what, uh, what is the uh, um, approaches or how, uh, how can I predict that? Are there any advices uh, how people can do that? Uh, one thing I think in your, in your question, in the lead up to the question that's very helpful is to do that preparation. I think too often we don't have a systematic way to prepare And even if you take the few minutes of being disciplined around what you said, which is write, take a piece of paper, write my interests, write their interests, and try to brainstorm, if you will, think about as many as you can possibly come up with. Challenge yourself to do that, your own first, and then what you think the other sides are. And, and to your point, before you have a chance to speak with them, how do you know? Well. You know, in this day and age, there are ways of researching, you know, people's past. It could be, you know, what their jobs have been in the past. It could be what they've said on social media. It could be what their likes are on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, you can at least try to build some assumptions about the other side. If they're a complete stranger, that's a good place to start. If there are other people who know this person that you're able to communicate with, that can be helpful as well. And, and so to work on any ways of learning more about them, but also even if you don't, even if you don't have that, you can make some educated guesses, um, some logical guesses perhaps around what you think may have motivates them. Money is always, depending on obviously the negotiation, you can assume some things about what people want, but also try to challenge yourself to be broader than just they want money mm-hmm. and they want credit, right? Well, what else do they want? Um, how, how much... How much does uh, creative mm. control mean to them? How much does selling this to their boss or their constituents mean, right? To really try to put yourself, that old saying, and put yourself in their shoes to the best extent you can. And then realize as you look at your list of what you want and what they want, my, my interests and their interests, notice these, that your the, your list of their interests is something you should be asking questions about. Are you right? Like their responses to discussions about what appropriate salary are or appropriate price for the object being sold. Um, that helps you learn whether or not you're right about their priorities and what their interests might be as well. So the, the, the main point though, is that preparation piece in advance. If you can learn more about them, great, do however that might be, do your research, but all if, if, if If nothing, you know, people often say, oh, it's just so much work to do these long preparation sheets and come up with all these. And it's common sense. So why, why should yeah, I write exactly. it down? That's, that's Everything is obvious. Yeah. So they. Right. I mean, why do you write down a grocery list? Because you might not remember that the thing in the moment. Um, <laughs> good, good point. Good so point. the power of actually typing out or writing out those can it's helpful for the creative process, if you will, right? If I see my list of my interests next to yours, that might provoke, prompt some um, ideas on mm. ways we could do this deal or things we might agree on that weren't so obvious when I was just doing it all in my head. Um, and so if I, if I said, what is just, what's the fastest preparation process you can use? Write out your interests and their interests. And then be careful about, you know, whether you're accurate on their interests, learn during the negotiation, write out your alternatives and theirs, right? What are you going to do if this falls apart? And what, what do you think they're going to do if this falls apart? Again, you might ask some questions aimed at understanding whether or not 
your perception of their alternative mm. is or alternatives are accurate. Um, what are the, what are relevant standards? Do I have a legal case that applies? Do I have market research that shows you know what I'm the option I'm proposing mm. will work? And, and, and that that process alone, my interest, their interest, my alternative, their alternative. What are relevant standards? Looking at that often shows you a variety of options that you might be able to agree on in the course of the negotiation. That doesn't take all day. Yeah, and actually on this on this list, you can see already what connects, what interests are common. Yeah, and uh, what what, right. what you can promote as a common interest and uh, get the common uh, outcome of the negotiations. Yeah. In this case. You know, and one thing that isn't part of the seven elements, but I have found is really helpful is particularly when you're doing the interest lists of mine and theirs is what, what resources and capabilities do you have that might be of value to them um, or, or that you just have, whether you've thought about whether they care or not. And same for them, right? What do they have? What connections, um, other products, uh, uh, relationships, um, know-how, what do they have that's of value to me? That, that combination of the things you want and what you can offer and the things they want and what they can offer can be a really rich list for possible options that are better mm. for both sides and that capture mm. as much value as possible. Yeah, I, I think that this is a very good thing in, exactly in this uh, in our question of uh, intercultural in, or intercountry international negotiations because in most cases the exporters, at least what I hear, when they are selling something abroad, they are thinking about only price. So it's like, I will sell cheaper. Right. But then if you are thinking broad, broadly, if you brainstorm, then you can find out much more values that you can propose to your counterpart in other country that they do not have now. Because the, the cheap price, and everybody yeah. is, is complaining about the China, yeah? so the cheapest price is coming from China, so you cannot compete. But in, in fact, you can compete. We had the case uh, with Canadians that said that they are tired of, of China. They are tired of the uh, misconceptions or different understandings. So they are very lucky to have like Ukrainian furniture because it takes the same time, the same amount of time to deliver that uh, to, to Canada and, uh, but the same quality or even better. And, and uh, price is not that much important in this case because you are getting much more value in in communicating mm -hmm. or predictability of the delivery so you you ordered the chair you got the chair and that, that's uh that's uh, what what the value for them might be yeah one thing that i think about particularly now with with ukraine and thinking about ex you know exporting or, or dealing with countries beyond ukraine obviously western europe is a closer market for ukrainian goods and services and obviously huge challenges, even just getting things in and out of the country right now. But at least from my uh, experience in interacting with uh, Americans, if you will, and knowing that that's a way too broad a topic, but there is, for a country as divided as we can be, um, there is by and large a, 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 an interest in, in Ukraine and Ukraine being successful and Ukrainian people, more, more of an understanding and awareness and an appreciation for Ukraine now than probably ever in the history of America. And, 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 and maybe that's a good thing for both after the victory um, and now is in realizing that, you know, an, an interest that many Americans have is supporting mm. the cause and, and, and being helpful. And there's, I, I know uh, 
several people that I've talked to have said, yeah, but what can I do? You know, I give my dollars to the Red Cross or... I paid taxes that were paid uh, to the missiles and (laughs) hopefully F-16s soon. I paid for the Patriot missile now. Um, But but I do think that there is an interest and and, and, and for some people um, a frustration that there isn't more... um, that, that one can do, I, you know, when I went to Ukraine earlier this year, there were people who thought I was crazy, but then there were other people who were really, um, for lack of a better word, jealous and, and, um, and inspired by the opportunity to even, you know, interact with people who are um, dealing with this, but dealing with it with so much kind of class and grace. And, and, and so I guess I'm just offering that as a, in this current context, there is, a, there's maybe more, um, interest in in trying to be supportive, whether it's helping a business grow or promoting a product or even promoting awareness. Don't under it. I, I guess my advice to you, Ukrainian business folks is don't underestimate that there's a large segment of American population that would like to do business to support Ukrainian uh, th- both recovery and and development during um, during and after mm. the war. Yeah, good good point to to add this value and yeah, this emotional value. And coming back to the methodology and the question about emotions exactly. So uh, a lot of questions about that. How to deal with conflict negotiations? So if you are in the conflict, if the other party is emotionally unstable, or you are emotion emotionally unstable. Yes. Yeah, so you heard something mm-hmm. not very pleasant for you. Uh, do you have any tools or approaches how to? do that in this uh, conflict situations and behave like a human yeah or use this uh, uh, emotions to to drive the negotiations in the uh, direction that will be successful yeah i mean it's obviously a, 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 an important topic with a lot of different angles to explore but i would say you know to kind of at the foundation it is around emotions it awareness is the first step and so Getting, um, becoming more self-aware around the things that provoke you. Uh, what are what are the kinds of things that are likely to throw me off? Um, in negotiation courses, we often have people think through what what are behaviors of your negotiating co- counterparts that are hot buttons for you that are one where you might have your negative emotions get triggered such such that your logical brain gets suppressed, and and the more you it's kind of uh, immunizing yourself, if you will. The more you start to think about those things and be able to manage them in advance, like realize, uh oh, this person's going to insult me. This person is going to interrupt me, talk over me, uh, not listen to me. The, the the more you get prepared for that, the more you can hopefully avoid to some degree the trigger that again makes you less. Generally, we're less successful when we're just being reactionary, fight or flight-like. Um, and, and so if we can resist the urge, the first step is get to know yourself better, right? Predict, predict what's going to set you off and think through ways you can um, avoid having that derail you. Uh, then, you know, then other things that can help. If, if you really think like this, I'm not going to be as effective as I wish I could be because of the nature of my history with this person or the things that I think the topics that are going to be raised too much for me. That's when you might want to get someone to stand in for you, right? Have a mediator, have a mediator there. Be willing to call timeouts when you feel your blood pressure 
rising, if, if at all possible, to even just call a timeout and take a deep breath. I know, again, sounds kind of trivial, but it's surprisingly important to give yourself a little bit of space if you don't have control, to whatever extent we ever have control, over our kind of emotional reactions to really hot button things. You know, and then, and then things like we've talked about a little bit before is if you can train yourself to think about impact versus intent, like when someone does something, the impact on me is very negative. I often assume the worst about what their intentions are. And that makes it even worse, right? If I think you intended to insult me and you want me to be hurt, then I'm even madder at you. And then I want to fight back more and just kind of getting a little better at thinking through, okay, well, maybe that was his or her intention, but maybe not. Maybe he's oblivious. Um, maybe, maybe she just didn't know that that was offensive. Maybe she just talks like that all the time and it landed particularly badly on me. So that, that intent impact shift can, can help you at least not be as provoked when the impact on you is bad, uh, to, to not assume the worst about the intentions of the other side. And, and again, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not. Pollyanna, I'm not naive about how sometimes people do want to hurt you, but re recognize it's in your own self-interest to not get provoked by that behavior. And, and so I think, you know, preparing yourself in advance, what's likely to provoke me and what is my, what am I going to do? Being willing to call timeouts. I think it's okay to practice also how you respond to something that is like a matter of principle, not okay with you, right? Like, uh, okay, if, if you're going to make that assertion about you know, my ethics, I'm sorry, I'm not going to, we're not going to be able to go forward. So I'd like to request that we not have that be part of this negotiation, um, because I think that will only be destructive, right? So even just having some practice around how you might respond to where you want to be assertive about behavior that you think needs to be called out as opposed to just ignored, um, that can help you be a little bit more calm. Again, the more we're just driven by pure emotional reaction, our kind of instinct emotional reaction yeah. is fight or flight. And usually that's not the best uh, response. You know, if you're trying to escape the animal that's going to eat you, maybe fight or flight makes sense. Um, but if, if you're dealing with another human being who's trying to have their own interests met, usually fight or flight is not the best approach. So the preparation and practice, yeah. So this is the these are the main uh, things to avoid uh, emotional statements that will not be manageable, yeah. yeah and the negotiations. And 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 the preparation is often about yourself too, like getting, get, being self-aware, thinking through really what it is that. And provokes be true to me. yourself, yeah. So not to lie to yourself that you won't react on that or or this situation. Right. So we're describing the ideal uh, psychic uh, healthy uh, person, uh, which is almost impossible, <laughs> especially in current situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know that person and I'm not that person, but I, I do. I think the more we're striving for that, uh, at least we yeah. have the goal, right? And at least we know we're, we're going we're gonna to fall short sometimes. But, you know, it's, it's, it's much better to at least know what the constructive responses are and have those guide us. I know from years of working with this material, I'm much better at dealing with not, you know, not perfect. And I certainly still fall prey to some of the things that happen to humans in negotiation. But I think just lots of practice and, and awareness means I'm a lot better at not getting provoked. And I'm a lot more 
logical, if you will, around, you know, what, what can I do that will actually help me get what I want here, as opposed to just that short term, short term interest is all been yeah, yeah, yeah. fight or flight, right? I, I, I want to get my jab in now. But I think uh, the more you're able to resist those short term impulses for long term gain, that that helps you not make some of those bad choices. Yeah, true. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, one one uh, idea came to my mind recently when I was uh, thinking about these emotional reactions in my negotiations is that uh, to turn your, um, you should be careful that uh, here as well, but to turn your reaction into question. So it's like, uh, if you would like mm -hmm. to um, react negatively to somebody's uh, uh, words about you, and then you want to say the same words to him or her, but then turn this into questions like, like, paraphrase yeah so <laughs> do i understand correct that, right. that you just <laughs> sent me <laughs> to the concrete direction <laughs> yeah <laughs> and even if it would be funny it, it will be still better than to react uh, with with, uh, with fight uh, with fight response yeah and, and you know is absolutely right and so <clears throat> it, it it could almost turn into something funny right if 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 uh, if i'm paraphrasing an allegation that I just lied. So if I understand you correctly, you think I'm a liar. I obviously don't think that, right? And and you can, you can. I, I think there's a power in humor. It's a, another cultural, an individualistic thing you have yeah. to be careful with. But it it can be disarming, especially when the heat is turned up, to to smile, to say something, especially self-deprecating humor as opposed mm -hmm. to humor directed at at the other person. Uh, it, there are cultural differences around this, and uh, again, but I, I do think that humor tends to cool the temperature down. It's not again provocative humor, and, and that can be something that, if you're good at it, can be a really powerful uh, negotiation tool as well. One more thing is that uh, while you are asking the question and hearing the another answer, it takes time. So yes. it, it takes time for the signal to go to your normal brain and not the uh, the lizard brain. Yes, yeah? so and not to to think over in that situation. So you give yourself time to to calm down or to breathe. Yeah, and, and even if you think say something like, um, "Well, it's very hard for me to hear that you think I'm uh, dishonest." Right? Just giving voice to the, the, your own feelings in a way that the other side is not likely to react to, um, can be, can both slow things down to your point, mm. but also signal to the other side, how you're feeling. Cause they may not be aware for sure. of how, you know, you're reacting yeah, to the sure. particular situation. Good. Linda, this was amazing conversation. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss this topic with you. Um, it, it and, uh, certainly welcome the opportunity to interact with, um, with you and your audience. Thank you. Thank you.